You know, we had D.A.R.E., we threw D.A.R.E. out. We had these programs that were working to build relationships with police officers, but it did have an impact. That's what we need to get back to. We need to be building solid mentoring, coaching-style relationships. From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back, moms, to Bully Buster, episode number 14. I met today's guest, Bobby Kipper, when he brought his film, Bully Fighters, to Arizona schools a couple of years back. We served on a panel together and discussed the issue of suicide and bullying. And we also talked about his Green Zone program. You'll find out today what that program is and all the other, many others, that Bobby has developed. Bobby's journey began with a 26-year career in the Newport News Virginia Police Department. He went on to serve as the director of the Gang Reduction Program for the Virginia Attorney General. Bobby founded the National Center for Prevention of Community Violence. He won the FBI's Director's Award for Fighting Crime. With four decades of experience fighting crime and implementing programs, he has some strong opinions on keeping schools and communities safe, education on bullying, and public safety. He'll talk about why the defund the police movement is misguided. Bobby, I'm just so thrilled to have you on our show, Bully Buster, today. Welcome. It's good to speak with you again. Well, thanks, Rhonda. Thanks for having me. I know your passion to keep schools and communities safe. What is the Green Zone and how has it helped so many kids across the nation? The Green Zone is a, a, a behavioral management program that really looks at various zones. You know, I've learned through all of the work that we've done, both with public safety and both in education, that, you know, everything is based on behavior and they're normally behavior is, is guided by, by two things that are very, very important to pay attention to. There are two ways that people act out. They either act out verbally or they act out physically. And so years ago, we decided to put together a process to where we could do a better job of coaching verbal behavior between individuals. And I mean, to put it lightly, we certainly need a lot of that right now in our society. We developed a green zone and we developed it not only just for schools, but for communities and and institutions and even businesses so that people can really know where zones are of civility. It's unfortunate that in today's society, with our schools, with our teens, and even with the adults that we come in contact with, that people just don't know how to talk to one another civil. And so Green Zone is a behavioral management and coaching system that keeps people in zones of civility and lets them know when they get outside of those zones to hopefully coach them back to where they need to be. Well, I'm so thankful for it right now because bullying as you describe it and I describe it, is more an issue for communities rather than schools. Absolutely. How do you feel schools are doing right now? Because we know that cyberbullying has a staggering increase of twice the amount now during COVID-19, and it's still climbing. 
I mean, the 160,000 kids that are staying home from regular school are surely not going to want to come back to school if it's doubling. Well, I would agree with that. I think that there are several things that points out to where these issues could be. Number one, that we have a lot of what I call rookies online. I just did a cyberbullying program for the National Students Safety Conference. And one of the things we told them is that, look, that, that there are a lot of kids online that have never been online. And so that really points out that there are a lot of avenues for these kids to go to places that they should not go and to conduct themselves in ways they, they should not conduct themselves. Because aggression is aggression, whether it's, it's through your fingers or through face-to-face discussion. I mean, you can be obviously even more aggressive with your fingers on, on the on the notepad than you can face-to-face because I, I call it a coward's way to, you know, to produce aggression because most of the time you don't have to face your victim. So we're really concerned about isolation of students, more time online, the fact that a lot of students have not been very educated in the cyberspace. There are a lot of issues, and Rhonda, I don't mind saying this. I think we're just seeing the, the crust of that. That's going to be a real problem for for months and months to come. We're going to have to tackle that problem because even in the coaching that I do, kids are hesitant to put their face on Zoom while they're talking to you. That's right. And that leaves out the opportunity for them to express themselves without feeling every second that they're going to be attacked by social media, that if they say something stupid, the spotlight is right on them. I mean, they're not used to cameras. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a whole other side of this, the dark web and everything. We're doing a class at a community college locally within our region, basically to educate parents. We need, Rhonda talked about this before, but we need more parental responsibility. I mean, these accounts are not owned by the kids. They're owned by adults. And what happens is adults just want to pacify kids. And I call it like an underground empire. It's an existence where kids exist by themselves with very little supervision. And that's what brings on cyber issues. If we really monitor the use, and not that you have to stand over their shoulder all the time, periodically just check and say, okay, what sites are you in? Who are you basically going back and forth with? Even if you did that three, four times a day, it's more than most adults do right now. So we're just asking to step up the game. They really do need to do that. I have a partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters, and I'm writing a program for them. And I am just stunned by the amount of parents that don't want to do some kind of connection after a child is done with homeschooling right. to make sure, did you feel embarrassed? How did you feel about this? So that they can connect with their parents, that they can listen to their child. I mean, listening is just something that parents should be doing 80% of the time. And that's one of the messages I want to get across to parents and then continue it. And I know you with a background in policing and community policing, that you're going to want to have the SROs on the school property. Oh, absolutely. There's a move afoot now. You know, it's all over the map. I think that one of the things I always talk about, if you want to pull the police officers out of school, you really don't believe in community policing because a lot of times in neighborhoods, moms and dads are at work or single parent families and mom has got to work to keep things going. There's nobody at home, but down the street, there could be, you know, between 1,500 and 2,500 adolescent Americans in a public building and we don't want to have any police interest in there. You know, it's an agenda and it's not fair because I think police officers do a lot of great things in schools. I mean, they're coaches, they're mentors, they do 
a lot of things. So I don't believe the move that to get rid of police officers in schools. I think it's a much needed factor in violence statistics and discipline really prove that out. I just talked with a brand new police officer in the Phoenix area, and he said most of his calls are domestic violence. Sure. Right off the bat. And the other problem is he is being bullied by the not silent protesters. Right, right. You know, the thing about it is, is that, I mean, let's just put it where it is. It's it's people that want to really talk about sending police away or taking money out of their budget. I mean, they're talking about defunding, you know, police departments across the country. You're not defunding police. See, that's a, that's a misnomer. It's not defunding police. It's defunding public safety. So if you really want to talk like it is, it's the bottom line is police officers as well as firefighters are the frontline ambassadors to public safety in the community. So don't come at me with an idea that you're defunding a department. You're not defunding a department. You're defunding a movement to keep communities safe. As long as we can agree with that, I think we're okay. But just running around the rosies like we're doing, I mean, we got to get back to some basics. We just have to tell it like it is. If you get rid of the law enforcement, who's going to take their spot? And the answer is no one. You can't call Ghostbusters. I mean, this is not fantasy. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's so true. I'm so thankful for your key initiatives that have been adopted by the White House, Congress, and the U.S. Department of Justice. How are they helping right now? We feel like there are obviously a number of schools that have green zone, and we know that schools that have green zone, that they show about a close to 50% reduction in, in discipline referrals uh, from teachers to the office. We're doing a lot of stuff right now about officer wellness putting out scholarships for police departments across the country. We just got a nice grant from the Motorola Foundation to really sort of jumpstart some of the things that we're doing in that area. As a matter of fact, I'm just doing a whole process called Systander, and that goes back to the parents because people are bullied and you don't do anything about it and you see someone being bullied, then basically you're labeled as a bystander. Well, parents, if you don't interact with your kids and you let them get online and harass and, and basically create victims online, then you're a bystander because that's your account. I know that it will make a difference because every school that I've gone to that does have an SRO, I can see, especially in the younger kids or middle school kids, where they are friends. And it is about connecting the community to the school. It is. The school is not a separate entity. And it's not supposed to take care of all bullying. And so many of these kids, as you know, from the juvenile schools, are bullied and abused, same thing. I loved your seminar that abuse is the same as bullying, having dominance as the factor between both of them. That really makes the difference. And families, families need to take responsibility as a part of the community. It should be the responsibility of the parent. You brought in to the juvenile detention schools and of course to the communities, bully fighters. You came from Virginia to Prescott, Arizona, where I had the honor of meeting you and attending your classes on bullying and abuse. How has that film affected the nation in regard to battling bullying and suicide ideation? We did uh, a tour of that in a number of communities across America, and the response to that was very, very favorable, as you saw at Prescott College that night. Everything else and in-person learning, we're trying to figure out a way to digitize that to parents online. And one of the things that we admire about Bully Fighters, the movie, it was cutting edge 
to bring what the issue is and how it becomes a community issue and actually becomes a justice and a human rights issue, which a lot of people don't want to label it, which I think is unfortunate and unfair for the victims. But what bully fighters did was point out that fact. I think one of the problems that we have with bullying and a lot of other social issues that we have is we we really want to talk about the issue, but we don't want to talk about solutions. And we are solutions minded. Uh, We all know what the problems are that we can't get along because we're very uncivil. So bully fighters is a great tag uh, film to really let people know exactly how serious this is because a lot of people don't take it serious. They don't take it seriously. I even had a girl who had a memorial service. She committed suicide. And again, with your film talking about uh, the connection between bullying and suicide, which just now seems to be connecting to the general public, that those two things go together. This girl committed suicide. She just turned 13 and 200 kids on the football field of the school were joking with their phones laughing almost partying to the sideline and even bullying while the memorial service was going on and the schools in my opinion they don't want to talk about the connection between suicide and bullying. They don't want that to even be known in the schools. In fact, I've had schools ask me to talk about bullying without mentioning the word bullying. Oh, absolutely. How ridiculous is that? Absolutely, yeah. Because of the laws. They don't want to, to really connect laws with a crime, which bullying is. I agree with you and your promotion to really make a difference. I know that Scott Geller from Virginia Tech brought the Bully Fighter film to their university, and I'm a big proponent of your goal to change bullying that leads to suicide to a criminal offense. How is that going? It's going well. Going back to one of the things you said, which has always been fascinating, principals and administrators in schools don't admit to bully, neither do superintendents. And the reason they don't is because schools are, are a driver to economic development in communities. Nobody wants to locate their family in a, in a community or in a city or a county or wherever that the schools are not safe and they've got a high level of bullying. Show me a principal that talks about the schools having a problem with bullying, and I'll show you an unemployed administrator. But what happens is, is what we got to talk about is what's appropriate, inappropriate. And the term bullying is overused. It's sort of watered down a lot of times. And so I try to go at it from this perspective. Let's just talk about it as aggressive, unwanted behavior for victims. I think that the movie has done well in, in Virginia Tech. We've been to Christopher Newport University. We've been to some other you know, some other detention facilities. And I think, I think young people get it. What I think happens is that the adults try to shelter the message, which we try to overcome that. Scott Geller's work in actively caring and the things that, that we do with him are astronomical. And, and we feel like that actively caring is an avenue to kindness in communities. And we're really pushing that real, real hard through our organization right now. That with Green Zone will completely change any culture and climate of any institution, especially schools. I 100% believe that. Well, I stood underneath signs that say, be kind, where bullying has actually gone on. It just floored me that this is happening. They ignore that because they don't really understand the word civility. I mean, civility to me means be caring. 
be considerate and have courtesy, like you said, appropriate behavior. Right. People don't want to talk about manners. Like, how does that connect? Well, manners are nothing more than consideration and be courteous and be caring. Parents need to understand what it actually looks like so that they can reinforce that kids are learning what civility means, how powerful it is. I go into schools and ask, what does civility mean? Uh, they think it's so funny to say, to be civil, you know, ha, ha, ha. And that, to me, is so sad that parents aren't talking about. It is beyond being kind, or what does kind mean? It means being civil. What does that mean? And show me, do some role plays. I liked that when you were teaching, you gave example after example and role play after role play. You really help people to understand it is a behavior. It is a system that needs to be undone. We believe that I've sort of coined this years ago, but I still stand by it. And, you know, we share this information in most of the presentations that, that we do. But violence and aggression is a process. It's not something that just pops up and happens. And, you know, the fact of it is, is that process leads to tragedy in many situations because we don't do anything to interrupt the process. And, and you're right. I mean, people may be, well, I don't know what the definition of civility is, but people know what, what appropriate is. They know what the right thing to do is. And so do mm -hmm. adults. They just don't do it. There's a couple of things that stick out in the minds of people that run schools that I say to all the time. It's like people that run organizations and businesses. The two things that are very important is, number one, expectations. What are we expecting of people? We don't expect anything. We expect people to do whatever they want to do and say whatever they want to say. But then leads to the biggest problem, and that's accountability. Who holds people accountable in an environment when they are doing things that create victimization. I'm really big for saying culture sets climate. So what you allow to happen within your home, your community, or your school or institution or business is what you become. Sooner or later, it's like soaking a cucumber and trying to make a pickle. <laughs> After a while, you know, it just people just become pickled to the fact, okay, there are no rules, there are no expectations. And I'm not talking about trashing everybody and sending everybody to prison. That's not what this is about. No, no. It's about educating people on, you know, you're out of line. You know, we want to talk about racism. We want to talk all this other stuff. These are character issues. They're issues of the heart. And they've got to be addressed that way. And don't you think they need to be addressed by the families first? Maybe the families could, ad could adopt your green zone method and actually yes. have a family discussion each week on yes. behavior and we do have a parent program yes we have a parent program oh that's where we fantastic have that people can put on their refrigerator to keep their home in green zones we need men and we need women to step up and say it's not okay to use the f word all the time it's not okay to talk slander and slur it's not okay to do that the bottom line is it's okay to correct people but it's hard to correct people when you're the ones that need to be corrected. It's an entire problem of a lack of character. And, and I go back again to what issue we're having now with all of the looting, everything that's going on in this country. I mean, it goes back to what Dr. King said. Dr. King coined it before anybody understood. I don't think they understood what he was saying, but he talked about the content of our character. That's where it starts and ends. So we're not willing to go there. We're not going to even come close to fixing the problem. When I asked children, what are your values? 
And I think of our five C's from our triangle of triumph going from victim and knowing that they have a choice to not stay a victim, learning that, and for parents to understand what victimhood means and becoming a survivor and adopting the five values that we have, like civility is number one, confidence, creativity, developing talents. If kids can learn how to develop a talent and share it, they get away from themselves and the focus being on themselves and then being able to have that kind of confidence to share and provide service. The things that really matter the most in life, like creating healthy relationships and providing service. And, you know, I always say, I'm not talking about raking grandma's leaves, although that's really nice. I'm talking about the kind of service that's being civil, that kind of service and communication. Communication is just out the window. I used to teach it for 30 years in corporate environments that 93% of your communication is body language and uh, your tone of voice, and they don't even get what that is. They don't. One thing I would add to your idea about you know, really promoting service and community. Let's remember that sort of went sideways when we started to sentence people to community service. People ought not be sentenced to community service. They ought to do it because it's the right thing to do for their community. And that's an education problem. That should be taught to them early on. And I, a lot of schools now are giving requirements that you be involved in a community betterment project in order to get your diploma. And I 150% agree with that. They don't have to go to juvenile court to be sentenced to do community service. They need to do community service because it's their community and they need to adopt their community. People that adopt their community take care of their community. So we got to do a lot of things that are different than what we're doing. I'm so thankful for what you are doing because we had a civility rally and we had 10 volunteers from the school as a positive reinforcement to come and donate their time. And I signed off for the four hours that they committed to helping with the civility rally. And it was so exciting to see because we still haven't transferred positive reinforcement. Like you said, when are we going to stop punishing juveniles and putting them in a juvenile school with an orange suit or whatever color and making them, those kids, as you know, are a product of their environment of parents that don't know how to be civil and and so on and so on. It keeps going back. But values need to be taught. You know, what is forgiveness? What is gratitude? What are some of those things that families need to adopt? And how do we promote those? Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. The schools have, have been forced to take on those issues, but it should be a community issue. Because one of the things that I really strongly mentioned it earlier, that the school's the community, the community's the school. We've got to stop separating what's the responsibility of the school and what's the responsibility of the community. It's the responsibility of all of us to educate kids at every turn. And no, again, you don't have to arrest every child that steps on a chalk line, but you have to remind them there are things they should be doing. I always taught my kids growing up, I mean, there are two types of mistakes you make. They're mistakes you learn from and they're mistakes you should have learned from. And so as long as we agree with that, I mean, our kids need coaching minded and they're not getting it in their homes. I get it. But sometimes that can be used as, as a cop out for the community. Well, that's the parents fault. Well, OK, now what do we do? We got kids existing on the streets and you're still pointing blame at people. But, you know, the other thing I would add to the juvenile detention issue is the saddest thing about juvenile offenders is that we know from research who they're going to be. We know by the third grade, it's, it's evident who kids are 
are way behind. They're not interested in education. And we know by the status offenses that they occur within communities when they become runaways, when they become early problems for the justice system in their community. We know all this. This is not something that's news like, oh, well, just all of a sudden Johnny woke up one day and decided to be a jerk to people. No, I mean, Johnny's been a jerk all along, but nobody stopped him and said, Johnny, it's inappropriate and it's not going to happen. Starting from the beginning, I used to do a program for four- and five-year-olds in preschools called Drama Play, where we acted out things that were based on civility. Our efforts really need to be focused as young as preschool to start teaching them. I mean, I remember my son coming home and saying, oh, that hurts my ears because I was yelling. And, And so actually, that was great. This is appropriate. This is not appropriate. It teaches the parents, too, if we could just start with that generation that hasn't had structure, that hasn't had boundaries. Our communities need to start with an approach of kind of a head start program based on civility. What do you think? I would agree with that 100%. We've got to go back to certain foundations within our education system. We've got to stop battling the system that wants to provide social, emotional, and that type of learning for kids because even people that want to argue that the bottom line is they're not getting it in communities so they've got to get it somewhere we got to step up to the plate i'm really concerned about public funding and where that's going to be at the community level five years from now based on our current situation but there will be programs cut and one of the first things they always cut is these type of programs we're talking about which is unfortunate leaves us back in the same lurch we're discussing this morning you always do the same thing. You're always going to get the same result. You know, we had D.A.R.E., we threw D.A.R.E. out. We had these programs that were working to build relationships with police officers mm-hmm. and children. Yeah, they, they do work. The idea is, oh, well, they didn't stop drugs. Well, no one program is going to stop social crime or social disorder, but it did have an impact on building relationships. That's what we need to get back to. We need to be building solid mentoring, coaching-style relationships in communities with all children. If parents are not going to and do it. And one-on-one. Yeah, if parents are not going to do it, somebody can adopt and do it. And you're not going to get every single one, but we can reduce what we have now. There's no question. Well, you mentioned funding. Actually, I've had arguments with superintendents, and they have said to me, Rhonda, the kids get to keep phones in the schools. And I said, but look, look at the data. Charter schools and private schools that don't allow phones right. are 50% less likely to have a bullying problem. It looks like, well, we have to be funded by the moms and the dads, and, you know, they need their phones for emergencies. And that's just not true. They need it so they can tell Susie Q to go take the dog out, that kind of thing. It's not because of emergencies. Teachers are trained for emergencies. Sometimes I look at these kids today, even my own kids, I think, I don't know how we got by and got to this point we got to because we certainly didn't have, I mean, we didn't have everybody have a cell phone sitting in class. So I probably have teachers that are turning over with the thought of that. What we try to do is we try to do everything for everybody and want everybody to be okay. Everybody is not going to be okay in this society because this society tends to wilt people. It's one thing to have phones available in case of emergency, but you can have them available somewhere around that student. I was doing a school audit years ago, actually in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which somebody had to do it, right? Um, so <laughs> I was on the island I was on the island of um, St. Croix and St. John. Oh, poor you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It was only they hired me again to do that. So, but no, what they did, Ron, is when the kids came into the class, they took out the lesson book 
and the notebook for that. And I witnessed this, and then they all put their backpacks in one corner of the classroom. And they didn't have access to their book bags the whole time while the class was going on. Now, if there's an emergency or you get notified with the PA system there's an emergency, I think they can get their phones. That's good. That's true. And there are systems out there. I just think that the schools are so unfunded, just like police forces are unfunded. And we we, we have to adopt something better for them. Yeah, I, I think that the funding for education and public safety are, you know, those are the two greatest needs of all of our communities. And I think, again, it, it's a concern because education funding, the federal government can't continue to provide all of this stimulus, all this money to pay for everybody not to be doing what they do normally. I've got some great concerns about that. Of course, I've already got concerns that we're defunding and, and, and cutting the jobs of police officers. I think that's one of the saddest things that I've seen in, in my life, you know, Tom. Well, I agree with you. And for your final message, we have listeners who are from police and fire, but we also have a lot of therapists, sociologists, school administrators, teachers, those type of listeners, but mostly we are trying to also help moms with daughters because daughters are so vulnerable to bullying still to this day and to violence. So what would be your final message for moms with daughters? My final message for moms with daughters would be two things. Number one, hug them and tell them they're beautiful on a regular basis. Number two, would be make sure that you are very discreet and selective of the men that come into your life in order to have interaction with that young lady. I've talked to so many, so many through the years, even as a single dad, who've allowed this person to come in, and, and they have been uncivil, violent, cursing, swearing. It, it turns the house into an uproar. I think especially, you know, women who are raising daughters have to be very selective about the interaction. We need more men to be doing the right thing. That is really important. And one of the things I would say is men that are listening, support women in front of that girl. Do whatever you can to embrace her and let her know the value and the virtue that she brings to the world and to you. Guys, I just got to say this, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about when kids change, that's a, that's a deal changer. So you have to make them a priority. And if you can't do that, you're better off. The, the woman has a responsibility to make a woman and that's the way it should be. And she can do that by interacting with that daughter in a way that makes her feel like a flower in the garden every morning. And if they do that, I'm gonna tell you, that self-esteem will go off the roof. Our, our girls are, are hurting and they're hurting from confidence building and self-esteem. And because a lot of times their moms have been beaten down. So mom, if you can't do it, get another friend who helps you with that confidence and let them do it. Just make sure that that's involved in that child's life and girls can overcome this issue. Bobby Kipper, I am so grateful to have you on our show, Bully Buster, today. Thank you so very, very much for giving this great message to our listeners. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rhonda. I hope we talk soon. Take care. This episode 14 is so jam-packed with jaw-dropping information. I'm just going to list some of the great takeaways. Number one, we need the Green Zone program in our schools, and it needs to be taught by an expert on bullying. It's about education on expectations, 
accountability, and behaviors that are acceptable, and of course, those that are not acceptable. Number two, cyberbullying has doubled during the stay-at-home orders for COVID-19. Bobby just did a program from the National Student Safety Council and what responsibilities lay in the laps of parents, like one-on-one mentoring, checking their computers daily, maybe more, and know how to do it. Number three, Bobby is straightforward about how bullies get away with creating social bully victims online. Bobby tells us that it's not only protecting victims, but protecting you and your kids from a bully that might be in your own house. Number four, defunding the police right now, it would be a very bad idea. They are absolutely needed in our schools to be the coaches of civility and be mentors for the kids and show what healthy relationships can do for the kids, the adults, and their communities. Number five, the film Bully Fighter shows how bullying and suicide are connected significantly, and that is an issue of justice and human rights. Number six, as Dr. King suggested, bullying is about the content of our character. Number seven, and very importantly, Bobby gets personal about telling moms to vet the men that they bring into their daughter's lives. Moms need to cut out anyone who's constantly dropping the F-bomb or showing disrespect or controlling her household. Absolutely do not allow someone who has a history of violence into your life and your daughter's life. Do background checks on every man because your daughter learns self-esteem from the men in their lives. Thank you for listening to Bully Buster today. And if you know a single mom who is dating, share this episode with her. She may get some valuable advice from Bobby. You may find us and the show notes and much more information on my website at bullybuster.us. And subscribe. All you have to do is push that button. Subscribe to this podcast. I'm Rhonda Orr. Let's build civility for a new generation. Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.